brothers, sisters, kin, and friends. We've got quite a heavy topic today. It's voting for the ratification of the ASA contract. And it's been a really heated debate in our industry. It's been a really heated debate in between our locals. And I know that so many people are so passionate, which is a beautiful thing, but it's also led to a lot of unkindness and divisiveness within our union and our friends and our onset and the internet and the people that we work with. So even though that makes my heart so heavy and I, I really do empathize with a lot of people that are struggling with this decision, I just want to urge you to seek out information, get all sides of, of the facts and try to inform yourself the best that you can with the time that you have. Cause I know that time's limited when we work so much, but our union is, is definitely providing some great information that we can seek out ourselves, read and interpret for ourselves, go to your town hall meetings, go to your general membership meetings. The union is begging for more participation, whether it's now when we're doing these contract negotiations or whether it's 10 months from now when things have calmed down, hopefully, and we're on the hopefully (laughs) easier side of uh, the table at that point. But you just got to get involved in your unions. You got to make sure that the people you want are representing you. You need to vote for those people who are in those positions because those are the people who will be informing you when you get to places like we are right now with our current contract negotiations. That's kind of a weird roundabout way to say it, but there's so many perspectives and I just really want everyone to stay informed. And if there's something that you don't know about, maybe try to find a friend that knows a little bit more about that subject. And I'm sure they'll help you out and give you some sources that you can check out or find information that you didn't know about before. I have a couple things that I just wanted to mention off the top because I am oddly attracted to good news. And I feel like when sometimes you talk about heavy topics, it's nice to just have a little, a little upper to start with something for America as a whole, our unemployment rate dropped from 4.8% to 4.6% since September. And that's really exciting for this past year for it to go down 0.2%, which hooray, go us. We did a thing. And then the average hourly earnings have been impressively 4.9% higher than one year ago. And that's also actually up 4.6% or it was 4.6% last month. So it went up 0.3%. So I know that was a very wordy, exciting thing to be happy about, but still exciting nonetheless. And I just wanted to start off with, with some positive things. All right, another two things that I just want to bring up. Our union is definitely fighting for us, and they are on our side. They have done the work. They are doing extra work by taking on the job at the unions, because a lot of them do work in the industry. But I will say that I feel a little like When I participate in our town hall meetings that I've personally gone to, there's a disconnect between two sides of things. And I'm just going to say from my point of view that we all just need to be a little more understanding and respectful of the other side. I don't care what side you're on. We just both, both sides need to be better about being respectful and honoring the people that you are going to work with for the next 40 years if you are my age. Um, well, hopefully not 40, more like 20, but we'll see. (laughs) So I really, truly believe that the people who are fighting for this contract really do believe in it. I definitely, I believe that they think it's great. I believe they have accomplished a lot with it, which is great. 
But I think the disconnect is so many IATSE members feel like their voices are not heard. They feel like they're not being acknowledged. They feel like there is no empathy or understanding for the upset that we are going through with this contract. Because there is a tipping point where we were hoping that we would have more resolution than we're getting. And I understand that the union has fought so long for so many months for this contract, but I think the disconnect is there are so many people that aren't happy with it because there's so much more wrong with our industry right now. And I understand from our union's point of view that they feel that we are misinformed, that we're only relying on social media for information because they feel like maybe not every person has been attending the town halls or having meetings with the representatives about their positions and what they want for the future. So I do understand that they, the union is working very hard and there's, there's a lot of stuff that we don't see and intricacies that we don't see behind the scenes that they do for us. And we're grateful for that. We are grateful for the work and the effort that has been put in, but that does not solve the disconnect that we feel as union members with this contract. And I definitely feel like the AMPTP is preying on that. They're preying on the divisiveness that we are having within our unions right now. They're preying on the fact that there's a chance that we will not be in solidarity together and there's a chance that we will be divided with a lot of the decisions we have moving forward on what would be a priority. So in order to not fuel that situation, I just I just want everyone to be kind to each other. And when you have these debates and you're talking to each other on social media, just be nicer. There's no need for name calling. And if someone has, if someone wants to vote yes, they're going to vote yes. And if someone wants to vote no, they're going to vote no. And that is the right as a union member. I hope that this information gets to the people that maybe feel like they're not receiving a broken down list of the items that are on this contract. And maybe they just needed someone to spell it out for them for the 400th time. Cause sometimes it takes that 400th time, but at the end of the day, just please be respectful. And (laughs) PS, by the way, this is go for set deck podcast. I'm your host, Shana Warsham, and we have a really great guest with us today. That's just going to play the role of a no voter and kind of further explain the side of the no voters and what they're feeling right now. Um, Her name is Kristen Jenkins and she is a lovely set designer. And um, I guess here we go. Welcome aboard. Thank you so much, Kristen, for coming on. I super appreciate it. We are going to talk about the ASA contract ratification vote that we have coming up. We actually, in 479, are voting this Friday, November 12th, and the results are going to be November 15th. And just for anyone that needs more information about it, this podcast is going to be Kristen and I talking about voting yes and no and kind of arguing back and forth. Uh, I don't want to say arguing. That sounds not nice, but... We're discussing different um, tactics of voting yes or no. So you've been pretty involved in union stuff for a little bit. Um, I started in the film industry as a PA. I was uh, an interior designer for a little while, and the housing industry was terrible when I was in it. And I've worked in this as a set designer for about eight years, and I've also worked as an assistant art director through 800. Yeah, that's awesome. Another thing about this ASA contract that we're going to talk about today, the terms actually go into effect 90 days after ratification. So if we do end up voting yes on this current ASA contract, that means that 90 days after that yes vote, and it gets fully pushed through, that all of those terms would go into effect. That is, if it is ratified. 
that's what's going on the table on Friday. <laughs> and then secondly, if it is ratified, again, if the term agreement would end on July 31st, 2024. So basically, we would have three years of this contract of things that we're voting for right now. Just to put it out there. What's interesting about that is that it's taken, by the time it is ratified, nine months to get it done. So really, we're looking at two years and three months of actually living in the contract. So, And then who knows how long it'll take them to make a contract next time. Right. That's fair. And also, we've been technically operating contract lists for a while now, if I remember what our president said at some point, 4479. We're operating on the old contract is what we're currently doing. Like we're technically contract lists, but we're currently working under the previous contract that we've right, had. Right, right, right. It's sort of our like handshake agreement of we will work on this under this contract until we get our shit together. Right, exactly. Really. All right. So Kristen and I have a fun little experiment that we're going to do with this episode where we're just going to talk about the things that came out in the official contract. She is going to represent a no voter and I am going to represent a yes voter of things just to keep voting sides of the table private and just for fun. So first things first is something that I read on our contract that we did get achieved to kind of paraphrase all of this because there's a lot of legal jargon that go goes into it and expands on it. Art department coordinators and assistant production office coordinator positions will also have wage increases, which is a really big thing because those are some of our more lower paid jobs and it's exciting and a big win for us on our side of things, on the IATSE side of things, because Anytime you have a wage increase, I feel like that's going to be a win, but most exciting because those positions definitely need to be acknowledged in, in the pay grade scale. Well, I, I think it's great to have a starting rate for the coordinators, but it is um, very low compared to the conversations that, for example, 871 eight, had with their members and the numbers that we got for the ASA are based on what was given for the BA. So, you know, for 871, a lot of their members are unhappy with what these numbers actually are. The conversations that they had with their reps were that they would not go this low. And this, you know, doesn't feel like it's that low in some ways, especially considering there has never been a number before, but it really isn't a livable wage. And that's what we voted for. Like we voted for the strike authorization for livable wages, and this doesn't meet it in many cities. So that's really frustrating. These people have been negotiating for their own rates for so long that this really is nothing for them or for a lot of them, I should say. They're already negotiating their rates higher than this. So it kind of feels like They've been doing it on their own for so long, and this is just continuing that. So I would have liked to have seen it to be higher numbers, that it really takes three years to get to 26. That's kind of crazy. Yeah, I, I definitely hear you with that. And I know that a lot of our representatives and our president have been saying that they will also fight harder in the next round of negotiations in three years to for more things like that to be addressed. So the wages to keep continuing to go up and certain things like that to be addressed, but definitely a good win if we're looking at it where the producers caved and we got an increase from the yes side of things. Um, another one that we did get on our side of things from our union standpoint is an increase to all health contribution rates by $6 per day, which is great for the fight that we were fighting with the producers, which, cause they wanted nothing. They wanted to stop contributing. They definitely wanted to stop contributing. And I do think that the uphill battle that our leaders were facing was that AMPTP wanted to say no to everything. 
And we want to say yes to everything. And that's part of negotiating. The issue with the benefits plan is that both for, I mean, we'll get to probably pension in a little bit, but is that this amount doesn't make it sustainable over time. So whenever they go to the negotiating table, they have to ask for a huge lump of sum of money to put into our accounts for healthcare and pension to make sure that we can provide these services to our members. And in reality, they should just be giving our members that amount of money that works that is actually keeps the accounts going so that we don't have to continually have this, you know, begging to mom and dad, Hey, can I have $10 kind of thing? So, and that's what keeps happening with every negotiation. So we needed to have negotiated to a point where we didn't have to keep doing that. And we didn't do that. Yeah, I definitely hear you. I also feel that, um, them not contributing at all would have been a huge loss. So when you think about it from the yes side of things, it's great to have something that we put on the table and accomplished. And of course we want more. That's normally how it happens is we're doing this compromise of back and forth. And so we're, we're giving up certain things because we still want to accomplish something on the side of that. And I definitely hear you with long-term, it's not sustainable. So it would definitely be something our representatives have to keep going back and addressing. Mm -hmm. And then when they are addressing this, this continual thing over and over again, other things that we're incredibly frustrated that we don't have get forgotten about because you have to, you have to give and take somewhere for sure, but you always give and take, the stuff you wish you had that you didn't have because you've got to keep the healthcare fund flush. And that's definitely what happened in this set of negotiations again. So it just seems to be a perpetual cycle of keeping the benefits flush, but not actually solving the issue. Yeah, absolutely. It makes sense because as their bargaining tool is to make small steps over time with progress and then to keep adding things to the table. And I think the long-term goal is that we accomplish this giant feat by taking small steps, but it is hard to get different things in those steps. If you're asking for the same things continuously, I definitely hear what you're saying. Another thing working past 12 hours will receive two times their hourly rate for all hours worked, including distant hires which is a big feat to get distant hires included on that. It's exciting for us on our end because a lot of people have been working out of town in different locations with all of these big features that we have moving around, doing some traveling to different states for the tax incentives. And so making sure that our distant hires are also included, that is was pretty big win on our side of things. Yeah, I'm always for, you know, getting paid more money to not have a life. But at the same time, you know, I'm on it. I'm at this point, I'm just arguing the no side. But when you're working more than 12 hours, you know, that poses a risk of your safety getting home, your safety on the job. When you're that tired, you make mistakes. And that could cause injury or death. And it's great to have a financial penalty for invading this time. But the producers don't care. They'll pay whatever they want to pay to get the job done. And at some point, the money's just not worth it. It's nice to get some extra cash, but you got to sleep too. Yeah, and definitely, I believe the whole point of getting the working past 12 hours will receive two times their hourly rate was to encourage producers to stop working people past those 12 hours to get them to get people off the clock faster and so they're not working into their rest periods and their turnarounds. So it's kind of acting as a deterrent by using money as a deterrent to get them to stop and get people off the clock. I think a lot of these financial deterrents just don't work though. You know, it, at some point producers will say it over and over again. It's cheaper to work you a 15, 16 hour day than it is to work another day. And in reality, we are a lot cheaper than the equipment. And so if they can get one less day out of it and have a cheaper equipment rental, they're going to do it. 
Yeah, and I think a lot of productions have moved into working towards 10-hour days with their shooting crews in order to have a 10-hour day goal. And so if they do go over, it just goes in over into 12s. And I, I hope to see a bigger shift towards that work day and those work hours with most companies. But, you know, it's hard to predict which direction each thing's going to go in with how much we change and how much everything fluctuates. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of that fluctuation has a pattern, too, though. Oh, I, I definitely feel you with that one. Yeah. That it's just starting to become like, oh, this is just the way things are now. And that's very disappointing. (laughs) But there are some great ones out there that, you know, do only work 10 hour days. Yeah, for sure. The next point that we gained on this contract is wage increase 3% of every year for three years. So your, your rate would go up 3% every year. And in this contract, that's something that we've had in the past was 3%. And it's a great thing to have that on the contract again and continuing that because we want to see everyone's rates rise, which is always a positive thing because, you know, with the hours that we work and the things that we contribute and, of course, the costs of living going up, We want to make sure that our employees' rates are also inclining with the economy. I think that the 3% rate is the status quo, which is the status quo. And sure, that can be great, but it's also kind of frustrating, you know, to, to have the conversations with our union and know that they walked into the room asking for five and that AMPTP asked for one. Like one is insulting for sure, but it also feels kind of insulting that our group only asked for five. It feels like when you look at a lot of the points in this contract and you look at where AMPTP started and where IATSE started, IATSE seemed to have started at a what they thought was a more reasonable place, which I understand why you would want to do that, but AMPTP definitely came in with their their fifth swinging and we didn't do that and so when AMPTP offers something so low and you also offer something medium you're gonna just end up with the same thing like we expected to get three percent anything less than three percent would have been completely unacceptable yeah and I I definitely understand that there's a lot of positions that are going into their negotiations when they're fighting for their rates and they're fighting with the, the UPM over a dollar an hour. And I, I totally understand that why it's frustrating to have a 3% increase because you still are going to be fighting over that dollar, whether it's this year, next year, or the year ne- after that. So I definitely understand that the argument for certain positions is you just want your wage increased to a certain dollar amount. But at the same time, there are a lot of positions that haven't been quite recognized for the things that they are doing, whether it's on or offset, and maybe it's we need to bring awareness to these positions so producers and other people on set just understand what their roles are so we can get those rates increased as a whole. But yay, 3%. woo Yay, 3%. And, you know, on your side of it, there are several other contracts that got much higher percentages of increases. You know, a lot of the lower budget stuff moved up further. So that is something to, you know, that I do want people to know that some of those real cheap things got a got a big hunk of an increase, which is great. Yeah, the lower the tier certain tier movies and more independent films and then i know theatrical which not a ton of people that listen to this podcast are from the theatrical side of things but they also the stagehands and the people that work on stage also got quite a big bump so that's great we like to see our friends getting big bumps when they can of course um one thing that is kind of left out of here uh with the wage increases is the maryland versus non-maryland rates the request or demand or whatever you want to call it 
to rid the non-Maryland rates title was not ever brought up during the negotiations. And it is said that some of the people, possibly even our own, decided not to discuss it at the table. I think an ongoing theme for me personally is that there were so many things that were just never even mentioned, you know, and, and it could have been something that we mentioned it, but we let it go because we wanted to make sure our healthcare fund was flushed or whatever. But this was not something that they even considered discussing. And that's incredibly disappointing to see from our leadership. Yeah, I feel you on that. And just to give people a little bit of a background on that, in case you don't know what the Maryland and non-Maryland contract is, it contract is it's the rates breakdown for the New York area and then everywhere that else is on the East Coast that's not New York. They compare them on a sheet of a rate a rate breakdown. I'm having the hardest time talking today. It's going really well. <laughs> How are you supposed to talk after working all day? <laughs> I know my brain is like, I also have house things that I'm applying for certain stuff. So I'm doing all these like calculations and my brain's like, no, we don't no. want to. <laughs> we, we don't do math at this time. How dare you? Yeah. No, thank you. <laughs> no, thank you, sir. <laughs> no, no thank you, ma'am. No. <laughs> the next point is the 10 hour minimum turnaround for local and distant hires. Onset that applies to everyone who's onset and offset. They have fought for this 10 hour minimum turnaround. So you have a rest period. When you leave set, you have 10 hours to get back. And uh, that's been a pretty big, passionate discussion for a lot of people. And if you look at it from the yes side of things, it's great to have it on this contract because you're forcing the producers to be more conscious about the turnaround and it is now in a contract so it's more apparent to them and they have to keep it on the radar more so while they're running these crews and everyone's asking for overtimes uh overtime and everyone's getting double time pay because we're going past those 12 hours they know they have to give you a 10-hour turnaround before they give you that call sheet the next day it's always good to have something in writing that says they have to give you a certain amount of turnaround and eight hours is definitely not enough, but 10 hours isn't either. 10 hours is like, I don't know. I don't understand why we're like bragging about this. This is a, honestly, it's a fucking joke. 10 hours. If you live far away from where you work, where they're not paying for your gas to drive to work, of course not. They're not usually giving you a hotel because you haven't worked quite enough hours, but you're driving an hour to work. You have eight hours to sleep, eat, wash your laundry, and then you've get an hour to drive back. It's just not, a, it's not enough time. It's, it's not, it's not even, it's not enough time to live a life by any means. But even if we just ignore our families and say, sorry, kids won't see you till Saturday, if I'm lucky. You're st it's still not enough time to justify just existing as a human being. And if you're going to want that, you have to demand from the producers in writing, like this 10 hours is, for more time. 12 hours should have been the bare minimum that we took. I definitely hear you on that because it it's really hard to go from portal to portal, to portal get all your life stuff done, handle showers, eating, taking care of yourself, seeing your family, getting anything you need done for your personal life in just 10 hours. But I think the hope from the IOTC side of things is that producers will not continuously infringe on your turnaround time. And the hope is to work towards a schedule that's more sustained with an earlier turnaround time than just a minimum of 10 so that you would have a longer turnaround time than just 10 hours. But the minimum is what's in the contract. So they are, are being held to that. I don't know. I find this whole uh, mentality that we're hopeful that the producers will be better, f naive and foolish. If the, and, and I mean, not to be rude to anybody who does have hope, but 
we've been shown time and time again that producers don't give two shits about you and that from a producer's standpoint, hope is pretty much dead. I know that's cold and callous, but I mean, I've, I've spent many years just buying clothes at Goodwill because I didn't have time to do laundry and a 10 hour turnaround doesn't, it doesn't do shit and it doesn't keep anybody from working a 17 hour day either. So I just, I don't know. I, every time I read it and every time I see our, um, producers just bragging about how like monumental this is it i find it frustrating because it's not it's really not much of anything and there's so many loopholes to it it is not reasonable rest which is what we were sold i have heard but i'm not sure of the truth to it it may just be a rumor but i have been told that it would roughly cost the same for them to do five day work weeks as it would to do six day work weeks and that there is speculation that they will just shift to a six-day work week so that they don't have to deal with the penalties of invading a 55-hour weekend. You know, there are penalties for it. So if they do invade your weekend time, they do have to pay you for it. But again, it feels like all the other penalties of they can just buy their way out. You know, they can... They can do a 50-hour work week once or twice, depending on the size of, or 50-hour work weekend, sorry. 50-hour work week would be dope. Um, But they could do a 50-hour weekend twice or once, depending on the size of the production. The 36, or the 32-hour, six-day work week rest can't be invaded without penalty. But again, there is the penalty option. And sometimes it may be, better to just do the penalty for them. There's also a shift er, or a option if there is a delay due to health or safety concerns or weather or hazard, which is probably nice, but it also just is another reason that they can get away with things. There was another one. Oh, the weekend turnaround also does not apply to on-call employees. So your art directors, your, you know, assistant art directors, your coordinators, they don't get this protection that that they signed that they signed up for a strike authorization vote for so i don't know it seems like a it seems beautiful on this piece of paper but in practice i don't really see it working that well oh i'm interested to see how it works with the uh, uh, 10-hour turnaround of you know how far you know we all wrap late on monday and then you start later on tuesday then it just spirals out of control I'm interested to see how that actually work, actually plays out. And I think one of the most disappointing things to me about this provision is that it is not really helpful to construction. Construction is going to work seven days. Like that's, that's how it goes. They're, they're all currently working two months straight right now and, or more. Um, and this doesn't stop that it's, and it won't stop that. And we've got huge amounts of crew that, are working under this, you know, pre-production umbrella who are going to get left out of this. And a lot of those voted for the strike authorization. And a lot of those were, were sold the reality of a weekend and they're not going to get it. Um, I'm actually not mad about the meal increase because of the 20 meal penalty stipulation. Um, by the time you get to 20 minute meal penalties, or 20 meal penalties for the work week, you're basically getting paid triple time. And that's pretty great. But what I don't like about it is it's still not a meal break. It's still not, there's still plenty of productions who are going to work through lunch. Even on some days, they may not do it every day because it's expensive, but there are going to be some days that they do it and you can't eat money. And there are plenty of people whose meal break is their time to use the bathroom. And that's, that's the time that they get and it leaves those people out. Uh, the other thing that I find problematic with the meal penalties is that productions are just going to do rolling lunches, which in, for some people is great, you know, um, but for the people who are stuck sitting next to the director, you know, your script supervisors who can't, who can't get away for a second, they're not going to get a meal break unless you demand a specific time for that meal. 
And until that happens, those people are just going to keep getting left out. Even though we went forward in collective bargaining, most people got left out. Okay, so just two things that I'm just going to add on that we also got accomplished on this contract. And they're not small things, but uh, we're running out of time a little bit, so I'm going to just brush through them. Which is MLK Day. We got Martin Luther King Jr. Day, which was a big win for us because we've been fighting for that for years. And we're also working to foster connections between mentors and individuals from unrepresented groups. So that's something that we're trying to integrate into the film industry. (laughs) I hate that I have a problem with this, but I do. That's okay. Um, You can have a problem with that. With the... Oh, I know, but it's disappointing that I, you know, it's one of those things where you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I have a problem with this. My problem with it is that, A, that it has to be something that AMPTP feels like should be enforced when their lineup is not diverse, hardly at all, for starters. So maybe you should look in the mirror first. If you look at... I only know 800s because we talked about it. But if you look at 800s, they have, you know, 30%, 40% of diversity in their group. And AMPTP doesn't, doesn't even come close to that. So the fact that they're telling us that they're going to develop and oversee a program that forces us to do something that we volunteered to do long that we never needed to be enforced to do is ridiculous. I also think that it's a little um, blindsided. I I don't know if that's the right word to say, hey, we're going to hire some women and people of color to be interns to do these jobs without looking at the fact that they're basically hiring women and people of color to do the same jobs for less money, which is already a problem. And just that that kind of looks a little gross to me. Like, why not just hire them at the same rate or create, I don't know. It just, it just seems gross to sit there and say, Hey, come here and be a set designer with, with this old white dude set designer, but you're going to make, you know, an eighth of the money he's making. Yeah, I I definitely feel like a big key to fixing that is creating more opportunities and making sure that we are opening more doors for people of color and women in the film industry because it is, I think it's actually shifted to a little bit under 80% now because when I started the podcast, the the statistic that I read was the film industry is 80% male. That's today, like that's... This was 2020 when I read that statistic. And so we have a lot of work to do uh, just to create more opportunities. And we got to keep bringing more people in that have not, who didn't think it was possible to be in the film industry. That's a really big goal that we need to have as people who work in the film industry ourselves. We need to hold ourselves accountable for that. We only have a couple minutes left, so I just wanted to check in and see, as someone who would vote no, what were things that you were hoping to see on the contract? So if we were to vote no on this contract, you would want our representatives to bring to the table when they created a new contract. What are some of those items? I think that if I saw another contract that would make me more inclined to vote yes, it would be one that really included all scopes of our work. You know, the editors got a better turnaround. That's great. But what else, you know, where, where's construction fall in this? You know, we, where's costumes fall in this? Where do we go to a point where everybody feels like they were included in this collective bargaining situation? Because you can't say, Hey guys, we're going to go in as a unit and we're going to negotiate as a whole and solidarity, solidarity, but you're not getting much of anything. And sure, many people needed more than others, but it feels like there was a big drop in, in a lot of people who were included. And I'm just have a really, I personally have a really hard time watching these men and women work 142 days in a row without a break, without, with a crappy turnaround with, 
out a meal break, you know, or whatever that it's just, it's brutal to watch us go through that and to see that that really isn't going to change for everybody here is, is really hurtful. And it's really frustrating when you were sold solidarity. Yeah. I also think another big one that people are feeling pretty upset by is there's no rule that stops us from working 50 days straight, 40 days straight, 20 days straight. There's nothing that says we don't get a guaranteed day off after working. There's no end to the work week because after seventh day, it just resets to day one. There's no eighth, ninth, 10th, 11th day. It doesn't work like that. We don't get paid according to that. It just, we roll into working 50 days straight when we are told to. I think that eliminating the eighth day reset would drastically increase just having a stinking day off. You know, like you said, there is no, there's no reset or there is no continuation of that double time and it just completely resets back after seven. And that's why you got guys working a hundred days in a row and gals, but without doing that. And I know that every time we mentioned the eighth day reset, our leaders seemed terrified of it. I, I hate to say that, but they seemed so scared to ask for it. And it's just, it's absurd to watch these guys do this. Another point that I just want to make for a yes vote is, is going to kind of turn it on its head. But, and I might offend some people with this, but there's a generation that created these work parameters for our generation that is now in the industry. And we are understanding that a lot of the setups and a lot of the systems are broken. And so if we were to vote no on this contract, that means everyone that is representing each individual local union is going to be rewriting this contract. So if you can say full force, I absolutely have all the faith in these representatives to get everything that I want in this contract, then you should vote no. But I actually, I take that back. You should do whatever you feel in your heart is right because I shouldn't tell you how to vote and I don't mean to tell anyone how to vote. I'm just trying to lay out the facts. But if you are doubting what your representatives and what your union is going to write up in that second contract for you, maybe the right answer could be yes. So I will throw that out there as kind of like a wild card <laughs> because I, I don't know how everyone has felt about their town halls and how much confidence they've had in their representatives, but those are the people that are going to be contributing to that new contract. So that's another thing to keep in mind. For sure. And I know Sneaky. <laughs> for sure. And I know that, you know, our members, our leaders have endorsed this deal, whether or not they want to tell us how to vote or not. I know they don't want to tell us you better vote yes or don't vote at all like they did with the strike authorization vote. But they have endorsed this deal and they have spent a long time arguing this deal. And quite frankly, I don't have a whole lot of faith they can do a much better job. But I also know that if you are going to see change, you have to force that change. And I hate being that person all the time, but it's the only way anything's going to get done. It would be really nice to just be like, Hey, we have union reps. They represent us. They do stuff. I can just go to work and live my life and they're going to take care of all this crap. But that's not how it works. If you want, you know, if you want your town hall on Thursday, to be full of information from the MOA, you unfortunately have to write Mike and say, do it. You, you would think he would just do it, that that would be the goal of the town hall would be to go over what we just went over and say, Hey, here's the information. What are your questions? How can I make you feel good about this? Because he spent months negotiating it. He should be proud of it. Hopefully. But that's not what I'm seeing here. And everybody is very passionate right now and they have to stay passionate. And we all know that a year from now, they're not going to be paying attention to any of this. But if you want to see the change, you've got to stay involved, even if you're exhausted. 
Well, thank you so much for doing this, Kristen. I really appreciate it. I know it's late. I know you worked all day. I know I know so many things. And I just I have to tell you how much I appreciate it. So thank you for coming on. Of course. Thanks for having me. Hopefully this will um, find an end soon and we will know one way or another and we will go from there. Absolutely. All right. This one's a doozy. And we have a lot to consider for our vote on Friday. It's a really big decision, and I hope that no one takes it lightly because this is a very big, impactful time that we have in this moment. And at the same time, we have a lot of responsibility and a lot of weight because potentially we would be forcing union members not to work and to be on strike with us if we do vote no. So just things to consider. At our town hall, I just want to mention a couple things that our representatives and president talked about. The One of the biggest issues that I believe that we have disagreements on with the no voters and the U.S. voters is that the seventh and eighth day reset. So after seven days of working, even if you work an eighth day, it resets to day one. So if you have a seven-day work week and you make it an eight-day work week and you go into 50 days, there's no compensation extra for that. It's just you're working continuously and it just keeps resetting to day one through seven. And something that Mike Akins, our representative, said in response to that and how we fix that, what our solution will be, is, quote, in the future, it will be put in to negotiations, end quote. Another thing that Ray Brown, 479's president, mentioned about the strike is he wants us to consider that work will go to other countries because film, the film industry is not solely in America. It is definitely all over the world. And he is proposing that if union work leaves here because they can't film since we're on a strike, that it will go to other places. And basically, we kind of have had some press releases that have said the opposite of that, that a lot of these other countries like England will also be standing in solidarity with us. So no new projects will be accepted in a lot of places because of this strike. So there's two sides of that. And I ask that you look further into both sides. Another thing that Ray Brown had mentioned is we don't have as much control as we think we do. And I think what he means by that is this feels like a really big movement because so many actors have stood behind us with the strike authorization vote. And so much attention got put on this exact moment. So... I believe what he's trying to say is the media has maybe made it look bigger than it is. And I believe that the flip side of that is you have to trust what you believe in. You have to trust the things that you want to stand for. And if you feel that you're the things that you're, you're standing for in the, your belief system and how you want your job and your industry to be run is not being promoted with this contract, then you can only vote a certain way because that's what you believe. And I, I understand that. So I will say that. <laughs> um, another thing that was brought up on a town hall meeting was that 30 to 35% of Netflix's content is shot overseas. Netflix is also considered number one in producing content in general. So I believe the union I should say 479 because this was a 479 town hall that I was in. I believe the point of saying that is these companies that are hiring us have so much power. They have deep pockets and our union just wants you to be mindful that they can withstand a strike better than we can because we are individuals. And I implore people to also investigate that further. A lot of people have been saying that this is a gamble and 
whether we strike or we don't over this, because if we vote no or yes, the end result is different, obviously. And if it does end up requiring a strike or if it ends up being a lockout, those are two situations that are very serious. And so I just, I want you to consider every single aspect of this when you're voting. I want you to think about the today, the next week, the next year, the next seven years, the next 50 years, what does your retirement look like? These are all things that we really, we truly do have to consider every, every time we do these negotiations and these contracts. Because it does feel like every single time we've done contract negotiations, it feels like we're losing just a little bit more. And that's just for me personally. That is how I feel. I can't tell anyone else how to feel. And I hope that even though this, I'm pitching sort of a biased take on things, I hope that it's taken unbiasedly because that can't be a word, but it is now. Um, Because I just, I really do want people to vote how they feel. And if you feel that you, I am full of shit and you want to vote completely opposite of what I am pitching to you. Awesome. I am here for you. I support you. And I, I hope that you find success with that. And I just want every person to know that your vote counts and it's important and your decision counts and it's, there's a lot that weighs on it. And so (laughs) because this has been such a wordy intro and outro, I'm going to stop talking now. So please follow our <laughs> our Instagram account. It's go for set deck podcast. Send us an email, go for set deck podcast at gmail.com. Hang out with us on Patreon. We love Patreon friends. We've got a couple fun categories that you can sign up for and donate as little as a month. Uh, whew, yeah, it's a long day. Little as a dollar a month is what I meant to say, which you probably figured that out by now because you can read minds and wavelengths. Uh, but anyways, this has been an episode of go for set deck. I appreciate you guys tuning in. Thank you so much for hanging out. Thanks to Kristen for hanging out with us and be a fucking exceptional human each and every day. Thanks. Uh, bye-bye.